Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business that you are proud of. Welcome to another edition of the Billion Dollar Broker. We've got a really special guest and a good friend with me today, Chris Raymond. He's the director and principal broker at Unconditional Finance. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Ross. Good afternoon. You've uh, had a really successful and, you know, in with a lot of the top brokers I speak to, it's relatively short career, but you've managed to, for the last three years, be in the top 100 brokers. You're in the top six brokers with SFG. Uh, so, yeah, keen to get into it. You've got so much value to, to add to the audience. So really keen to get into it. But just tell me how you got started in the, in the broking industry. Yeah, um, good question. I mean, I've always been in the third party space. Um, when I left school, it's probably showing my age now, but in the early 2000s, first job out of school, you know, it was working for a bank, um, not in retail. I actually went for a funds management position um, at ING of all places. And they said, uh, sir, I don't think you're experienced enough for that. And, you know, we've got a new department being mortgages and, you know, we think you'd be a really good fit for that. So that's that's where my mortgage journey really began. So, you know, entry-level position, doing loan documents and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, moved over to a major bank um, in sort of mid-2000s and really just worked my way up. So I always dealt with um, mortgage brokers, you know, always had a passion for working with mortgage brokers um, and just sort of the back entry stuff. So learning your craft, learning you know, documentation, learning sort of pre-assessment stuff, learning sort of credit analyst stuff. And then I spent a couple of years over in London and worked for a mortgage broking company over there, which is, which is you know, it's it's a little little bit of a different industry in the UK. Um, but then I came back and then all sort of a BDM support and then progressed to being a BDM for about four or five years before, you know, making the jump to uh, to what I call the light side now, not the dark side. Exactly. It's uh, plenty of light and plenty of opportunity on this side of the fence, that's for sure. So interesting. So that's how we sort of cross paths. I remember you back in your NAB days. Um, you know, I think you helped me with get a number of uh, my tricky investment clients over the line. Uh, and in terms of, you know, just going back though, in terms of with your background and especially London, right? Because I've traveled over there and seen their mortgage market. What, what do you think the biggest takeaway yep. took from working in a place like uh, the UK mortgage market was? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the UK market is, you know, it is a little bit different. Um, you know, I guess it's a heavily focused on selling insurance um, and risk insurance and life insurance. So, you know, I think Australia sort of went through that period Maybe 10 years ago, the buzzword was diversification. Um, and one of the banks I worked for, you know, it was part, not only did we have a sales target with mortgages, we had a sales target with insurance as well. So, so that was sort of a different learning um, experience being over there and, you know, just sort of learning the ropes. And, you know, they've got qualifications and sort of you've got to be a qualified person to actually be a mortgage broker over there. So that was a good grounding. Um, and I think, you know, coming back to Australia, um, the BDM role, it started to become more advanced um, and, you know, really learning my craft as a BDM, being on the road. I Like I've lived in Sydney all my life and I used to look, look after brokers in Canberra. You know, I used to do the, the track up and down the highway every year. So just sort of, you know, that determination 
Nation, getting out there, meeting brokers, understanding the mortgage industry. Um, and it got to a stage after three or four years where I was probably training and coaching brokers on how to actually read tax returns. And I was probably knowing more than a lot of brokers that I was there, you know, there to assist. And that's where it really sort of the light turned on. And, you know, I thought maybe I need to be on the other side of the fence assisting clients and not not brokers. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. When I started, I was in Wizard Home Loans in their head office for two years. And I did a, a business development role where I'd work with their mobile brokers and I'd go out on the road and do coaching and training. And isn't it a great grounding because you get experience and you see, you know, what the best brokers do well, right? Coming from the other side of the fence, you see what the best brokers do well. So, you know, and I guess, yeah. Say, what are some of the things that you took away that you, you know, you made sure you implemented in your business from day one, knowing what you did from being part of that third party space? Yeah. I mean, it's, that, that was it. You know, I was in brokers that were writing 100 mil plus you know, offices 10 years ago, you know, that was down in Canberra predominantly, so smaller loan size. So just looking at the whole office setup and, you know, how the broker was, I guess, you know, the, the face of the business, um, you know, how, to, how they sort of scaled their model, you know, how they had back office support and things like that. So I took little snippets from that. Um, you know, the big thing for me was, I think, that BDM mentality. Um, and, you know, I still see it today, Ross, where a lot of clients, not clients, a lot of brokers online and, you know, certain online forums, you know, it's really hard. How do I actually get deals? But when I started, I was, and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I've only been broking for about five and a half years. So it's not like oh, I'm one of the, the old brokers that had the good times. You know, I, I faced the same challenges that brokers that had been in the industry 15 years. So I thought, how am I actually going to get leads and get them quickly? And the old BDM mentality, it was just knocking on doors. Um, you know, I'd go to open homes around my local area. I'd print off the local you know, open homes and go out there and meet real estate agents. I'd use LinkedIn, social media, um, you know, a hundred invites. Hey Ross, how are you? This is who I am. This is the value that I can actually add. You know, I might get 10 replies. I get five coffees and I, I built two or three relationships on the back of that. And that's, you know, not many people have that mentality. Um, a lot of people are afraid of that rejection. And that sort of really stood me apart. I think in year one, and it's not beating my own chest. I think I settled around $60 million mm. in year one as a broker five or six years ago. And it was really those activities of getting out there, don't be afraid of getting a no, um, that really sort of built, you know, my client base quite quickly. It's interesting, right? And it's, yeah, a credit to you and, you know, coming from that business development relationship, knocking on doors, doing all those activities that seem simple, but a lot of brokers really struggle with. And, you know, I was working with my momentum crew, which is just, you know, entry-level brokers looking to get to three mil a month fast, right? And to get to that level, it's one lead a day, right? All they need to generate, mm -hmm. one lead a day, one referral lead a day. And uh, it's not one deal a day, it's just one lead a day. Yet people struggle to focus on doing the right activities. Now, you you did 60 mil in your first year, so you're probably generating around two to three leads a day, right? By just focusing on doing the right activities, right? And you mentioned what they were, but a lot of people, you know, um, you know, again, in terms of, uh, we'll get into your numbers in terms of your figures in a little bit, but to write, you know, yep. a couple hundred million dollars in, in business within, you know, um, four and a half, five years is uh, is a great feat. 
And a lot of people wouldn't even think that's possible, right? But you've shown it is possible. Yeah, don't be afraid of the no. Yeah, that's that's the key sort of takeout. Um, you're going to get no's. Um, and then I guess just, you know, what is your value proposition just quickly on that, Ross? You know, once you do meet a prospective referral partner, um, you know, how do you differentiate yourself from the crowd? And me, it was, you know, I'm a BDM, I've had credit analyst experience, you know, I'm an investor myself, I sort of focused on that investment path or journey, dealing with, you know, working with like-minded investment people. So it's not just about getting, hey, I'm happy to meet you. It's how do you then obviously add value to that referral partner's business and their clients more importantly. So Exactly. You know, back when I started, we were competing against the banks, right? And uh, brokers had a very small market share. Now it's different, right? Your 70% of the market is taken by brokers. So we're not competing um, so much yeah. against the banks anymore. We're competing against other brokers. So if you just do the standard things that other brokers do, oh, we can find you the best loan, find you the best product then there's no differentiation. So what you're saying, and I'm keen to understand um, your differentiation because I know that's a big sort of um, area and it's been, you know, sort of critical for you growing the business. So talk to us about, you know, how you sort of position yourself um, in that property investment space and the value that you offer to to attract the business that you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I really went down the path of, you know, trying to partner with, um, you know, whether it's buyers, agents, or really playing that investment space. And it started just because I was an investor myself. Um, you know, in my early 20s, it was sort of a passion and a hobby. And, you know, I started accumulating a few properties. And that's sort of, you know, what I thought I was good at. Um, I used to do a lot of reading and all that kind of stuff as well. So, yeah, like I said before, I mean, I did go out and meet a lot of real estate agents, but I found where I had the most traction, the most value to give were, you know, buyer's agents, um, you know, differentiating between different policies for investors versus owner-occupiers, you know, really putting a stamp on the value add that I can give a buyer's agent um, and their clients. Um, and, you know, you hear, I don't say this to, to everyone, you hear the term fake it till you make it. I think the first relationship I built had been a, a broker for one week. Um, you know, I told the buyer's agent I'd been a broker for two years. Um, and it started from there. So I'm not saying everybody out there that's listening today has to lie about their credentials. I could sort of back up, you know, I knew I'd worked in the bank, I'd done the VDMing, I, you know, I'd been the credit analyst as well. But um, more importantly, I was confident that I could sort of back up my skill set around assisting their clients. Um, and it really started from there. And ever since then, we've sort of just grown. Um, we don't have a huge amount of referral partners. We might only have three or four. So it's not like you need to go out there and build 10, 15, 20 different referral sources. But, um, you know, with that and then with doing a good job for their customers, um, finding the ability for them to potentially lend more where other brokers can't, that then you start to get a, a name in the, the industry. Um, existing clients start to refer on to other friends and family um, and it's just grown from there, mate. Yeah, love it. I'll, I'll sort of rephrase what you've said and um, put in a way, you know, the listeners can, can <laughs> do on it. But I guess, you know, what I took away from, from what you've said there is find something that you love, find something you're passionate about. So for you, it was property investment. Um, yeah. Get educated. As you said, you used to um, educate yourself. You read a lot of stuff on property investment to obviously to grow your own port portfolio. So get that base level of education and become 
the expert, because if you're that knowledgeable expert, then you're going to be able to add value beyond the transaction. Right. So, Correct. and you know, a lot of brokers are transactional and just think it's about doing loans. But you know, what I love about what you said, you're adding value beyond the transaction because you know these guys and I come from a property investment space and I'm a property investor myself. And so I understand what you're saying because when you're talking to, say, a buyer's agent or an accountant that sort of deals in that space, you can talk on the same level. Right. You understand yep. their challenges. Yep. You understand, um, you know, their aspirations and how they want to structure a deal better than somebody who hasn't got the experience or the wisdom that's gone out and done it themselves. So I think you guys yeah. also doing it yourself uh, just, you know, makes it very hard to compete um, with somebody like yourself. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's the mindset. Um, it, you know the value add from a, a good you know a broker to a, a really good broker it's you know it's not just a transactional relationship um you know we're sort of mapping out what their second third fourth purchases look like um often clients come to us and they're not in a position to purchase so it's around sort of mapping a plan out what do they actually need to do to go away and actually put a savings plan in place or whatever it may be to actually you know get on the board with their first property so a lot of brokers just say well you don't qualify, see you later. So we actually put plans in place and those clients are very sticky then. They come back to you for your second, your third, your fourth transactions as well. So Yeah, exactly what you're saying. And it's not just then their first property with a property investor. It's then the the plan for the portfolio, right? What does that look like? How does that expand? And you know, what are some of the things that you do and what are some of the conversations look like that you have when they're coming back for their first, their second, their third? Yeah, I mean, one of our value adds is I'm in the borrowing capacity to start with. So we, you know, like I see it all the time, I guess brokers use on average 60 lenders only. So, um, and, um, you know, we, we, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're using the same figures that broker A down the roads use, but I guess we understand which banks are more investment focused, which banks have higher borrowing capacities due to certain policies and, Things like that. So that's that's part one. Um, and, you know, I would say sort of seven, eight, nine times out of 10, we, you know, a client can potentially, doesn't mean they have to, you know, take out the lending, can potentially, you know, get more money with our offers just because of we understand the investment market. Um, and yeah, like I said before, it's, it's, it's not a transactional relationship. It's really sort of mapping out what property two, three, four was looking like, understanding which banks give sort of high valuations, you know, Lender A might give you this, lender B might give you that. Therefore, you know, we can pull out this amount of equity as well. So it's really sort of mapping out a plan from a lending perspective, from a valuation perspective, and, you know, a borrowing capacity perspective as well. That sort of really puts us in front. Um, and yeah, I guess under, understanding more advanced strategies as well in that investment space. So, you know, personal borrowings, trust borrowings, and there's various other things as well. So, it's, and that's come with experience over time. You know, we're, you know, I've read, I've researched and, you know, we've been sort of doing this for some time now and that's sort of, you know, as I said, we get a lot of good feedback from that, Ross. I know from myself doing those reviews and it might be something simple, right? Like extending a loan term from 20 years, refinancing it onto a 30-year term or looking at, um, you know, converting some debts to interest only. And the difference between doing a couple of small changes like that can mean the difference between buying 
you know, one property or four properties. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, mate. Yeah, that's and that that is the key. So it's and I, clients are surprised. Wow, you can get me so much more money. And um, you know, disclaimer, it's a, it is about responsible lending. Um, but you know, it's using the same figures um, and using strategies, whether it's extending terms or you know, using second tier lenders. Um, I just find a lot of brokers just focus on their three or four major type lenders, and you know, you're missing an opportunity there. Um, and that value that we then add, not only for that initial transaction, but then you know, future transactions beyond that, that allows um, not allows, but that you know, gives us a good name in the industry, and more and more clients do come back that second third fourth property yeah that's been great i think that's uh, gives people a good you know insight into you know your key business and how you've sort of built the referral partners but you know you get to a certain part where your sort of success comes up to you and you know we've been working together for the last sort of 12 months so i'd love to talk if you're open to it about your journey around scaling your business uh yeah. Because you know, um, you know, when we met twelve months ago, what were some of those challenges that you were having? Um, if you can sort of think back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you said, Ross, I think you and I have been working together for about twelve months ago, and um, you know, as brokers, you know, you just want to go out there and write business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's ten mil, twenty mil, thirty mil, forty, whatever your your goal is, and then it, you know, the sole focus for our business in the first probably three or four years is just on the front end stuff. You're peddling that hard, trying to, you know, keep up with all the leads and, you know, service your clients in a really good manner. Um, And yeah, it sort of just grew over time. I mean, I guess for the listeners out there today, you know, one of the first steps that we took, you know, we hired, look, we had a couple of Australian team members. I think when you and I spoke, there's probably four of us in the Sydney office. Um, um, But we also had an offshore team as well. Um, where we had sort of two or three good relationships um, with a VA overseas that could do a lot of that below the line task um, or tasks, I should say. So things like valuation ordering, you know, pricing approvals, doing compliance paperwork, you know, on a client line, all that kind of stuff that, you know, you put a dollar value on it um, and there's not much dollar value assigned to that. So that was one of the things initially we really focused on and probably before a lot more brokerages are moving down that path. You know, four or five years ago, we had our first VA um virtual assistant so so that was part of it um but then you and i came um across each other i think 12 or so months ago as you just mentioned um and yeah i guess i was at a crossroads i was probably doing 16 hour days um you know five and a half six days a week and you know there was no real focus on our back book there was no sort of training manual there was no sort of defined roles within the business i didn't know who i needed to hire next you know was it admin support was it a broker etc etc but yeah, in that 12 months that we've been working with each other, I mean, the team's now grown to, we've got nine um, in the Sydney office. We've got five VAs as well. And there's a lot more structure um, in the in the business itself. Um, and there's a clear pathway for people coming into our business now about how, you know, you can start your career in mortgage broking and how you can sort of progress through each step to then become, a, you know, a fully qualified um, and good mortgage broker. So, yeah, exactly. And I guess... You know, that career progression and showing um, the brokers how they can deal uh, um, with you and um, obviously where they start and, you know, what those steps to to get, you know, whether that's to a, be a broker or a senior broker or a partner or, or whatever that is, is, is important. And I guess, you know, where, you know, that sort of came from, 
was around, you know, you you had a um, situation where one of your brokers you know, left um, during the year and we spoke about the importance of having, you know, building that team and building that culture. Yeah, uh, and that really, I guess, shone a light on, you know, our business. And, you know, somebody once said to me, I mean, you, you're trained at how to be a mortgage broker. You're not trained to run a business. <laughs> so, you know, I've sort of dabbled in a few things here and there. And that's where you and I obviously came across each other 12 or so months ago because, you know, I knew the mortgage broking part. I knew the technical part, but actually trying to scale a business, um, you know, so we can support our clients, you know, we can build a better culture, as you mentioned before. Um, and more importantly, give me a little bit of work-life balance back as well. I've got two young kids, as you know, Ross, and, you know, the 16-hour days, they're only sustainable for so long. So, and, you know, looking back, um, even my team commented last week, we did a um, business planning session for 2023. And, you know, they all commented, the ones that have been here for 12 months, you know, how much more structured the business is, how all the roles are more clearly defined. And um, just back to your original point there, we lost a broker, I guess, key person risk within a business probably resonates with a lot of people and yeah it was basically three brokers including myself and one of them moved on um it was all amicable um but that then left two myself and somebody else and at that time mid last year you know the business started to increase um, with referral partners giving us more and more leads so it just became almost non-sustainable that model um you know from from my side of things in terms of family but also the business as well like you know, if I lost that other broker that was still within the business, you know, what would that do for me? What would that do for the business model moving forward? So that's where you and I had a, a deeper conversation and, you know, how can we sort of get some key people in the business um, and have that next mentality, next man up mentality um, where I'm trying to build that army of brokers now. Love it. And I guess when you look back in terms of, you know, some of the, the things that we put in place, what has been, you know, and you mentioned the team feels like there's uh, more structure. What in particular do you think uh, are some of the things that have given you more structure? Yeah, I think, I mean, clearly defined roles mm. is one. I know that sounds very simple, but, you know, I've, I was doing everything. <laughs> like literally, you know, broking, um, growth strategy stuff, CEO hat on, um, you know, below the line staff recruiting, this, that, and the other. So now I'm delegating a lot more of that stuff to, you know, certain people within our team. So that was one part. Um, you know, I think when I say clearly defined roles, I mean, the credit analyst role, um, which may or may not be familiar to some of the listeners today, that was just something that we never even contemplated. Um, we had one broker, you know, he came through sort of the junior level position and then advanced to being a broker. And, yeah, there was just a gap there. Um, and we never thought about that credit analyst type position. Um, and the analyst role is to support the senior brokers like myself. And, you know, there's one or two others in the office. How can we get them doing more face-to-face -face sales activity um, and all that below the line stuff in conjunction with our VA team, our post unconditional team, how can we actually get them doing a lot more of the, the dirty work, you know, dealing with banks, dealing with clients, um, all that kind of rework stuff as well. So yeah, I think part of what we introduced on the back of our um, work, Ross, is yeah, we introduced two credit analysts into the um, the team. And I mean, we've seen the results in six. I mean, I, my analyst has been working with me for about 11 months now, but Joel, one of our other brokers, he's had one for about six months. And I mean, our growth in terms of volume settled 
between myself and Joel is, I think, or I think I was up about seventy percent last year. So, and because some people, you know, who invest <laughs> in brokers again, should they get a credit analyst for the broker? What has it meant for your broker providing him? sort of additional support and getting him a credit analyst. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the model we have now, I mean, if you are a broker in our office, I mean, we, we have them, they, they get VA support. So all that compliance stuff. Um, but I mean, Joel's a good example. He, like on average, I think the last three years settled anywhere between 40 and 50 million. Um, and we introduced a VA, another VA, a credit analyst to him last year. And, um, you know, Joel sees the client. Joel sort of recommends which bank, you know, the client's going to go to, and then the credit analyst takes over serviceability, additional documents, you know, liaising with that back office team. I mean, Joel's settlements last year, I think he was about 95 million. So he's gone from 50 mil, 50 mil, 50 mil up to 95 million by doing the same amount of hours by introducing a credit analyst into his team. So you've introduced, you've increased your business by about, you know, you said 70% plus, and he's almost doubled his business. So um, by going from that sort of, you know, 50 to around 90. Um, so similar results, right? So I think as a message to the listeners, if you are thinking about investing and, you know, obviously structuring, that is obviously a key um, position uh, if you can obviously, you know, do that. And I think, uh, you know, what we've we've sort of done with the systems, the, the process, the job roles, and then, you um, and then you obviously letting go of control a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's a key one there. You've you hit the nail on the head. It's it's letting go of control. It's a, it's a trust system as well. Um, you know nobody can do everything as good as what you do. But it, it's as I said, it's not sustainable. Like we're trying to scale a business now, a profitable business moving forward. Um, plus, I'm trying to obviously get a bit more work life balance back into my family life as well so it's about you know hiring key positions within the business and you know letting go like having faith um, in your systems your processes and you know their ability to to deliver the outcome that you would to your clients and the key stakeholders as well um, and I think you and I were having a brief chat yesterday Ross and yeah like I settled 70 million more than the previous two years um, and I actually said I think my hours probably per week have gone down about 10 hours per week so I'm actually doing slight still big hours but I'm doing slightly less hours and by introducing that credit analyst I've um, been able to write another 70 million dollars worth of business last year so it's huge oh it's huge right huge and you look at it from, uh, you know, some people have that conversation around, should I hire a broker or should I hire a credit analyst? And, you know, when you're saying, okay, and you look at the revenue increase, you look at the cost of your credit analyst and, okay, in Chris's case, he's increased his uh, his revenue um, by $70 million in, in settlements, um, you know, which is 450000 call it. Um, and the cost of that person, right? Whereas, you know, would have broker one been able to write that 70 mil and what would be your profit share depending on what they wrote, right? So that's where the the sort of decision and, you know, I guess, you know, where and how much um, you want to write. And some people feel uh, writing an extra 70 million, I'm actually going to spend more time. But in Chris's case, you wrote an extra 70 mil and actually spent less time. Right. So this is a, um, 
a perfect sort of example of you know that sort of catch 22 situation that a, a lot of brokers find themselves in in terms of their decision to scale you know, should i bring on additional yeah. brokers or should i bring a credit analyst first and uh i guess you know uh yeah we've spoken about this and you went down the credit analyst path first but just because you go down the credit analyst path doesn't mean that you can't develop them into a broker later on correct yeah and now when i've said before clearly defined roles i mean that's the role is now like we have sort of a an entry level position and then they progress to being an analyst um and then after they've you know 12 or so months being an analyst they then progress to actually being a mortgage broker in their own right um and my my analyst has been with me for 12 months now he he basically knows everything like i have confidence he deals with credit managers he deals with clients um you know he knows more about the transaction after that initial meeting that i've had um and yeah look i know we did a lot of modeling on it but yeah i would we would never go back that analyst role within the business um, that's here to stay now. Definitely. And you know, one of the things we did chat about yesterday was the three sort of phases, right? Where uh, in your business, you've set up some really good foundations now and you've got some really good growth off the back of that over the, the last 12 months. And then, you know, what comes next for you, and you mentioned it earlier, is, you know, how can I actually, you know, write less and step out of the business. So you're in the right in that phase now, right? And so what are the, some of the things that go through your mind when you're sort of pondering that decision, right? Do I continue to write or do I make that decision to step back and some of the challenges and sacrifice? Because it takes a bit of courage. And I know you're sort of weighing these things up. So for the other sort of listeners who are in a similar position, it'd be interesting to see what the things you're weighing up are. Yeah, I mean, one is, I mean, let's be honest, one is profitability. <laughs> I'm not, we're not going to hide from that, you know. I, the deals are more profitable if I'm writing them um, and not my team. So, you know, that's one thing you've got to weigh up. Um, you know, I guess skill set as well. Um, and, you know, being able to handle the volumes that we do. Um, you know, I think we settled circuit 300 million last year. So <laughs> it's not a case of Chris simply just pulling the rug out and saying, I'm done as a broker. Um, good luck, guys, to my team. It's, you know, it's a slow transition. So we're sort of contemplating how do we actually manage that in the next 12 months um, where, you know, I, I would still be writing in some capacity, but I'm not doing the volume that I am at the moment. So, like, they're two of the key things. Um, you know, you and I had a, a chat, I think, towards the end of last year. Like, how do we actually then introduce that to our clients? Like, you know, what is the strategy around introducing my brokers now to, you know, clients I've been dealing with for three, four, five, six years. Um, how do we actually do that as well? But, you know, our business, I think, is at the stage where I need to take the more strategic CEO route for the business. Um, and, you know, I guess having that direction and, you know, having those clearly defined roles and that sort of training system where you can come up through the ranks and, you know, be an analyst is actually helping me now to slowly you know, pass more of my clients onto my team of brokers. So yeah, I mean that's that that's it. Like I do, I do sit up at night, sort of contemplate what to do. Um, but you know, it's not sustainable doing sixteen-hour days every day for ten years. No, exactly right. And I think what a lot of what you're saying, and I think you know the the point, and I found this in my business that was a great way. Uh, 
to go to build to have them in your processing team and to grow through, especially in um, the types of deals that you're doing, are not um, they're technically challenging. Right? There, there's people with multiple portfolios. You know, you've got self-employed, you've got trust, you've got self-managed super funds, and you know, uh, I used to say to my credit analysts, you no one gets easy deals because we'll throw you in the deep end because you've got to be hand, able to handle whatever comes across your desk, right? So by growing them through your process like you're doing, you give them you know, such great experience that there's no way they could get any other experience like that unless they're working under you as a credit analyst, right? Because as a broker in their own yeah. life, wouldn't cover that type of deal right they wouldn't have the experience to yep. do it. So, you know one of yeah. the real benefits in the model that you've chosen is that they get a really good training ground by you know doing that credit analyst role yeah and i say this to like i've had a couple of clients that have turned into being brokers within our office um you know in all due respect like anyone can be a broker um, and I, I say that, so, you know, you do your training course, you can be a broker out in three months. But I guess what we try and build with our team is, you know, get that match fit mentality, um, learn the ropes, learn the back office, similar to when I was a BDM. This is what the best officers are doing. Come up through the ranks, you know, learn your apprenticeship almost, you know, become that analyst. You know, you've had all the different scenarios thrown at you. And then, you know, when you're actually out there as a broker, you know, our, our team are riding 40 million almost in their first year because they're, you know, they've done the the training beforehand. They've done their apprenticeships. So, and that's the key difference. And that's something that you and I have been slowly trying to build within the team, you know, from a culture perspective, but also a training perspective. So I can obviously scale the business. And um, as we mentioned before, try and write less deals <laughs> moving forward. And I think, um, you know, from what you're saying in terms of, and some of the challenges and, uh, in stepping back from writing, I guess why a lot of people get stuck in the writing role and never get out of it is because it takes a vision, right? It takes a strategic direction because, you know, phasing yourself out from writing, you know, I think you said you did about 170 mil last year. So from going from 170 mil uh, and the revenue that that creates to, you know, zero um, over time, takes a plan right and you know part of it you've started to implement already but it also obviously provides that career pathway for your clients coming in because you can say hey this is the the plan this is the option the business is there to be written we just need good people on the ground to be able to write it but unless you've got that longer term yep. vision, which a lot of people don't take the helicopter view they're just so busy pumping out deals and you know i know the the volume of deals that you do and the hours that you work you get to that point where you get decision fatigue right you get decision fatigue mm. because even though you're not actually processing the deals you're still making a lot of decisions about where they go why they go and if the you know the deal catches fire and you need to put it out it's still coming to you to be able to put out right um, yeah so then, you know, and not only that, you're wearing obviously all the other hats, which is the CEO, the head of marketing, the head of finance, uh, head of recruitment, head of um, training, all those things as well. And uh, yep. this is 
we're really having that longer term vision on, well, okay, what is my role? What is the things that I love in the business going to be? And who do I need to support? Because you've got the delivery system in your business now. Um, and I guess the next level is getting a really good operating system in your business. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, yeah, like we have come so far, um, but we're by all means the finished product. I mean, we had a chat yesterday, like what, what's, what does the next four months look like? You know, do, you know, there's been a big focus on our existing book, you know, how do we sort of formalize that process a little bit more? Um, you know, do, do we add management layers into the business as well, which, you know, there's a lot of work still to be done in that phase, in that space, I should say. Um, but yeah, like you said, having that helicopter view, um, you know, do do you want to be writing deals forever? If not, how do you actually then sort of go about putting the plan in place, hiring the right people, um, and you know, growing that team internally so you can actually then start to step away from the chief of everything really inside of the business. So same way you had to let go of the control in terms of writing the deal to a credit analyst, you know, and you don't know how that's going to work, but you invest ahead of growth. And it's interesting at each level of growth, there's these trade-offs that you have to make, right? Um, so, and it's interesting, it takes a lot of courage and it takes that sort of planning and, and forethought to, to make it a little bit more, less scary. So you've got more confidence to be able to do it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I know, um, you know, another one and another thing that I admire about you is you are a lifelong learner, right? So what are some of the things that you do, you know, to develop yourself? Uh, it's a good question. When I say I hate reading, but I, I read a lot. <laughs> I don't read books. Um, you know, we play in that investment space, online forums. You know, I, I sit there scrolling at night and, you know, I'm looking what people are saying. I'm looking what other brokers are saying. That's how I sort of taught myself to be a broker. I, I was on the, you know, the, the online forums and just checking out experienced brokers and what they were saying, you know, different things. You always pick up something new. You know, I always say to my team, read all the, you know, broker communications that come out, the advisor and all those type of things, you know, knowledge is power. Like if you can sit in front of a client or a referral partner and they give you a scenario and you can say ABCD lender will do it, um, credibility is auto automatically built. So, so learn, you're always learning, um, you know, there's snippets here and there, online forums with for brokers, um, you know, I've gone down the coaching route with, um, with yourself, um and I, I think i highlighted before i mean i was taught how to be a broker <laughs> i had no idea what it was like to be run a business and i had no idea how was i going to get off the tools how can i actually scale a business I, like i was literally a deer in a headlight so you know looking at things like that um and yeah as i said that's you know i just i, I like reading yeah. learning and you were telling uh, me, um you know and i know there's some of the podcasts that i've done and other podcasts in the industry so you're constantly listening to to different things. What sort of stuff do you listen to? Yeah, I mean, podcasts. You know, I think one of the, like it was a shining light when I was overseas last year. You had one of, Nick, one of, on one of your podcasts. And, you know, he, I think his words were, you've got to take a pay cut to scale a business. Um, and it sort of just, it was the light that shone on when I was on, in my head. And I thought, you know what, it's now's the time. It's, I've talked about this for too long. Um, you know, I need to obviously invest in the business, invest in the right people. So podcasts is a huge thing. Um, you know, there's social media, Instagram, uh, TikTok's a bit of a, not really my thing, but more 
people are getting on there as well. Um, it's a good, like Instagram, social media, it's a good way to meet potential referral partners as well. Send them, send them a message. Hey, who, you know, this is who I am. And I've picked up one in the last week just by doing that. So yeah, just all those things, social media, online, um, reading, lurking, you know, broker publications, all that kind of stuff. Because if you can get one little thing out of that, um, I always say to my team, you're always learning in this industry. I've been in the industry almost 20 years. There's things you see every day and go, what was that? Or what was that policy? Or where did that come from? So, yeah, knowledge is power, as I say. I couldn't agree more. And it's a great industry uh, for learning. Um, and again, from yours uh, podcast today, there's been so many gold nuggets, a lot of things that people can take away we'll sort of wrap it up there but one of the questions i asked you know in wrapping up is you know what would be your one piece of advice for someone who's really looking to get in and grow and scale their mortgage broking business my favorite saying comes from tom panos (laughs) when i started this is for newer brokers um and I went to an advisor event. I must have been a broker about one week. And he said, hustle beats talent. And talent won't hustle. And I stuck that on my wall. So hustle beats talent Talent when talent won't hustle. So, you know, I'm not the best broker out there. I'm not, not the best presenter out there. But, you know, I'll try and out-hustle anyone. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid of no's. Um, and that has always resonated with me. Um, you know, work a little bit harder. Um, but I'm at the stage now where I'm all about working a little bit smarter um but that's probably the one bit of advice um and you know for the more experienced brokers out there you know take a a leap of faith you know invest in your business um in 12 months we've seen substantial growth from myself and joel and a few other brokers just by implementing a few key people in credit analyst roles um and i'm actually doing less hours and 70 million dollars worth more business last year so don't be afraid to you know take a pay cut (laughs) <laughs> invest in the business um, and, you know, trust your staff because you'd be surprised what they'll actually do. So Love it. And, uh, you know, wise words. So thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for being part of the Billion Dollar Broker podcast. Thanks, Ross. Been- Beautiful. Thanks, mate. So if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, there's a number of ways that you can stay in contact. One, uh, subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform. Uh, Two, join our Facebook group, uh, Billion Dollar Broker for Mortgage Brokers. Uh, We share lots of great insights and tips there. And if you are interested in being coached or uh, joining one of our coaching programs, uh, reach out to us. Go to billiondollarbroker.com.au and book in a time. And we'd love to have a chat to see how we can help you. This has been another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker podcast. I'm Ross LeCain, and I'll catch you next time.